Okay, so hi, uh, welcome to this episode of the Broke Girl Society podcast. I'm Christina, your host. And today we have Rachel and Hillary with us to share their stories of compulsive gambling and, and recovery. And so, hi, hi, ladies. Hi. Hello. So, what I'm probably going to start with here first is um, I think I'm just going to ask each of you to kind of share your story. So, we'll start with Hillary. You wanted to share a little bit of how you started gambling? Sure. Um, when I was little, um, I was raised in a gambling family. Uh, first game I learned was Michigan Rummy, where we played for pennies. And then as I grew older, when we would go see my grandmother in Florida and during the winter, she was a snowbird, um, used to make trips to the dog track, the horses, um, the trotters. Mom and dad would have their special nights out at High Lie, so kids stayed home. Um, when I was seven or eight, we went to California. I think I was, maybe I was a little older. Um, and we were making a trip, but mom and dad absolutely had to stop in Vegas and we stayed at Circus Circus. My brothers and I stayed on the uh, gaming floor for hours, you know, where you just play games and try and win prizes because mom and dad were in the casino gambling. Um, I started being able to place bets with my father when I was as young as six, when we went to the horse track and the dog track and the trotters. Um, it was kind of a bonding thing for my family. When I turned 21, we went to Atlantic City. My mother and my brother sat down to teach me how to play blackjack. And I ended up doing like Wheel of Fortune or whatever. And I had won and wanted to go back to the hotel room because I was bored and I wasn't allowed to have a room key. So I had to stay down there and basically I had lost everything I wanted. My dad was really angry because I did that, but I had, you know, I had no choice and um, it's, I didn't gamble until I worked in a truck stop um, and I was, I don't know, I guess I was 22. 223 and they had the push quarter machine and one of the guys who worked there rigged it for me to where I got a lot of quarters and <laughs> that was the beginning for a while for me I did that the whole year and a half that I worked there I would put my all my tips everything into it and I knew I had a problem and I told my parents I had a problem and I stopped and I went back to finish my undergrad and I didn't gamble again until um, I met my ex-husband. We moved to West Virginia. Um, we went to Atlantic City where I got pregnant with my 21-year-old. So obviously I was doing things other than gambling. But before that, my folks wanted to give us a honeymoon like they had my brother's. And my brothers got to go to St. Thomas. The other brother got to go to Hawaii. My choice was to either take a four-day cruise or go to Vegas for 10 days. And they knew I had a problem. Oh, wow. And I was pretty freaked out by that. But I went and kept it under control. I basically gave my husband at that time the money. 
And anytime I would win, he would take it. But I wasn't obsessed with being in the casino then at all. Um, and when we lived in West Virginia, I lived 20 minutes from a casino and never went once. Not once. Um, when I moved to Harrisonburg, Virginia, I was put on medication back in 2006, 2007. Uh, Abilify, gabapentin. I had severe depression going on. And a girlfriend of mine, um, I mean, we were broke. We were just flat out broke, but it wasn't because of that. And I had $5 in my pocket and a woman that I bonded with over losing a son that I had raised for nine years. Um, she had lost a son also. And then she explained to me that there were slot machines here. And so I even asked permission of my ex-husband to go. I only had $5. That was it. And um, it was my first night away from my kids. It was my first night for any time to myself. And I won. I won. I put in a five and I won $500. And that meant everything for the way of groceries, gas, et cetera. And he had given his permission for me to go. And so that was pretty exciting, except for the fact that something was triggered in my brain. Yeah. And I didn't find out. I gambled for eight months and I borrowed from my kids' portfolios which I immediately told mom and dad what I'd done so they, he, they could change over the guardianship to my brother because I was terrified. And, um, you know, I was able to pay back debts and so forth. It took me a while. But I, after that eight months, I was taken off the Abilify. I was taken off the Gabapentin. And I had no urge to gamble again. And I was sober from 2008 until... Um, 2016, when I was again put on a different kind of medication, but I didn't think about it. You know, I didn't ask about what are the side effects. You know, you just want to feel better and not be so depressed. And um, I had already divorced my ex-husband, which he brought out on the paperwork that I had been a compulsive gambler. And even though it was eight months, you know, I didn't bring any of his stuff out. So anyway. Um, I had met somebody and he knew, because I explained to him I had a gambling issue so I don't go near machines. And for my birthday gift, he bought tickets to go see Tony Bennett at Cherokee Casino. And I was doing really well. And then he said, you know, we could just put it in a 20 and see what happens. And I thought, oh, what's the harm in that? And I did, and we won. And again, it clicked my mind. And then um, he and I, it was a devastating breakup. And I gambled a few more times that was just out of control. And then I was like, no more. And my psychiatrist removed me from those medicines. And again, no urge to gamble. And I didn't gamble again until... Um, five months ago. And in that four months that I gambled, I gambled more than I ever had in my entire life. Now, of course, I found out Latuda is notorious for um, sex addiction, shopping addiction, and gambling, because I did a bunch of shopping too. 
um, over COVID. I had it. I thought I was going to die. I wanted to make sure my kids were okay. 1821, neither drive. So um, I got myself in a world of hurt. And I was, I mean, my brothers both knew that I had a problem because one of my other brothers has a definite problem, but I don't think he's willing to get real about it. But mom and dad left him in control of my part of the family trust. So um, anyway, long story short, well, or to make a long story longer, um, I used quite a bit of money in that four months to the point where I didn't have two nickels to rub together, you know, but I came out and said, look, guys, I need help. I need it now. I know what this is. And I haven't gone off the Latuta yet, but I have been sober now for a month. Um, Good. I, and, but it's really hard. I've been working in therapy for a long time to get at what's eating me and what drives this. It's not just medication. There's a combination of things. Um, and the biggest obstacle is myself. You know, I'm the one the blame lies with, nobody else. And my kids know what's been going on and they've been extremely supportive. So that's my story. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And I think I've, I've seen a lot of commonality with um, med, um, different medicines um, triggering those impulses in us. And um, so it's, it's interesting that you say that. For me, they put me on Effexor and Effexor, the two years I was on Effexor, I did the most damage I'd done in my 15 year gambling career is what I call it. Um, so, so let's move to, uh, Rachel. Hi, Rachel. Hi. You want to share a little bit of your story? Sure. Um, I didn't gamble for 53 years. In fact, I thought gambling was stupid. I didn't understand why anyone would work hard for their money and give it away. Uh, just thought that was absurd. Uh, the first time I ever gambled, I was in Tunica. I put a 20 in a machine. I was losing most of it. One back 12, bought a t-shirt, left and went, well, that was stupid, you know. Um, the second time I gambled, I won. And I won a jackpot, and not a lot, but enough to make me go, huh, okay, that was kind of interesting. And um, I was on a girl's trip, even though we were in our 50s, I was on a girl's trip. And uh, we kind of hit a couple of casinos on the way back home, and I thought, well, this was kind of fun, and, you know. Um, and of course, at that point in time, if I won, I kept it, I left, did all the things that social gamblers do. And um, my best friend was gambling. And so we would say we were going together, uh, but if we took one car, I just didn't really understand because she would stay so late and I didn't know how the world she could do that. So we started taking both cars. So it's weird that there was a time that I just, I, I don't know. 
but a lot of things took place. One, um, I divorced and was every other week I, I had my son. He was a teenager. And so there was a week where I really didn't have anything required of me other than working. And I kept up with work. And I would also say, you know, during this time, I was dealing, my mom uh, had a stroke and I was helping with that. And in fact, my sister and I, I would go spend hours with my mom and then she would laugh and say, well, now, you know, let's go reward ourselves. Let's go, let's go play a little bit. Um, because there wasn't any changing diapers at the casino. There wasn't any, you know, trying to communicate with someone that couldn't communicate well at all or couldn't, you know. Um, and so uh, it was our, quote, reward. I moved uh, on to date, and I dated two men in my 50s, both of whom died of prostate cancer. Um, so I, I fully facetiously say maybe I'm not supposed to date, but between my mother and the two men, um, I was doing a lot of caretaking and as women, we caretake a lot. I didn't have any problem with doing that. I felt that was my role. I wanted to do that. But my gambling started getting more and more and more as soon as I was got a, you know away from having to caretake, I hit the casino. And I could then play not only till one o'clock in the morning, but I could play all night. And of course, the amounts that I was betting were going up and up and up. And so during this time, I, I, the addiction was there. And I, at one point thought, oh, this is, you know, beginning to be a financial problem. I'm going to take a year off. And I did. But I kept track of that. And as soon as that year was up, I was back and I was betting as high as when I'd walked out the door. Um, so, you know, chemically, it was, it was back. The trigger was there. I rotated money had lots of payday loans, lots and lots of them at high, high, stupid interest rates. And I think the person that did get affected was my son. Even though he was a teenager, he was with me every other week. And as a teacher, you only get paid once a month. So if I lost it all the first week, then there wasn't that much selection of food at the end of the month, if there wasn't much at all. So, um, but he knew I gambled and, um, you know, and he knew that in a couple of days, everything would be taken care of again, but he was affected. And that of course was not being a good mom. Um, my story is also, I want people to understand that if GA is not enough, there's treatment. But then I don't want them to look to me as a role model for that since I've been to treatment three times. I went in the summer of 15, I went to CORE in Shreveport. In 17 and 19, I went to Algamas in Prescott, Arizona. Both great places and both really intensely gambling only. Um, 
the first time I came out of Shreveport, I had such resolve, I even tried to start Gambling Anonymous in my small town. And I did it for a year. And in a year, I had a whole five people, but never at the same time. And so I finally just went, well, I'm the only one coming on Thursday night. So I gave it up. And of course, within a couple of months, I was back at the casino. And I've, you know, done such stupid, stupid things. I don't see well at night. And yet I will drive at night to go to a casino. I will drive after not sleeping all night. I will, you know, do, I, I will do all the things that the 20 questions are asking about, you know, and if you haven't experienced 20 questions, I, I, you need to go look at them under Gamblers Anonymous because uh, they're very important. But at this point in time, I have 16 months and I'm pleased with that. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled, but I'm still scared because I've had a year and a half before. I've had a year twice. I've had 90 days twice. Um, and I, I truly think if I go back, it will kill me. And that's my story. Well, thanks, um, Rachel, for sharing your story. I actually met you uh, in person a few months back, huh? Because we yes. are in the same, we're in the same small town. Small town was Tahlequah. I actually moved up to Tulsa to have meetings. Because oh. Tahlequah has nothing. So, um, which is really surprising. And we'll probably have to do a whole episode on, <laughs> on why that is. On tribal uh, gambling. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Because that is what Oklahoma is. But, um, okay. So, so how do you feel? I'm going to ask you both this. Um, Rachel, how do you feel at 16 months? Like, how are you feeling uh, this time around coming out of recovery 16 months? I'm feeling stronger because I'm choosing to be in a supportive community and participate in that supportive community. Um, I'm doing several things um, other than GA, and I don't know if that's kosher or not. Absolutely. Um, I, I do GA on Sundays. I, on Tuesday nights, I go to a Wellbriety meeting in Sepulpa and it's a Native American approach to uh, abstaining. And then on um, Thursday nights, I started in March and I'll end in October. I'm working the steps with a Zoom group that's from the United States as well as from Ireland and England and Australia. And um, also, I um, am working with some women because I do think um, in working the four steps, it came up that there's not much discussion of fear. And yet I see that um, in women more than men. And so I've also started talking with a group of women about that difference because to me it's important absolutely fear fear uh, you know i very common why why have you not started help i'm scared I'm, I'm i'm scared of of what recovery means what does recovery mean most, if most people are like if i knew what to expect from recovery um it maybe wouldn't be so scary and so that's why it's just, it's so important for me to do this podcast, to talk to women who are struggling with this um, disease, affliction, addiction, whatever you're comfortable saying, 
and, and how recovery is changing their life and showing that there is life after gambling, because there is, there is life after gambling. And, um, so Hillary, you're 30, right around 30 days. And, and that wasn't so long ago for me, cause I'm just over four months. So how are you feeling? I'm feeling hopeful, but I'm also scared. Um, I'm a little frustrated because my brother that is a gambler has taken over finances, so to speak, working with a money manager. But um, I went from quite a bit to $250 a week for groceries and gas and cigarettes and my kids' needs and um etc and i'm i'm looking at it and i'm you know it's it's overwhelming i know because i've lived well below that it's not gonna you know i'll be able to get back to that um but i'm also feeling hopeful where i am to know that it that there's hope that there's possibility i know i've been sober before um, and I have to say something that's on my side is that Virginia made slot machines that are in little convenience stores and everything. Cause where I used to go was less than five minutes from my house. It was a little convenience store that had slot machines. Um, those have been illegalized. They're, they're illegal now. And they took all the machines out of all the convenience stores. Um, Amazing and, yeah, yeah, except that they're building six casinos throughout Virginia, um, which Virginia's never had. The, you know, the closest one to me, I think, is close to two hours away. So I wouldn't go. It was not my thing, you know. Um, I mean, I went with my ex-boyfriend, but it was kind of different. It was like adventure, you know, whatever. I don't want to do that. Um, and I know that, and I know that, you know, I'm, I'm doing something this time that is much different, which is I'm actually working the steps in order one at a time. And the hardest for me still right now is we talk about the 20 questions and answering those 20 questions and then sharing it with a sponsor that I now have finally. I have a sponsor for this. Oh, good, good. Yeah, because when I did Gamblers Anonymous, um, back when I had gambled that eight months back in 2007, we had a meeting and maybe there were three or four people that would show up and the one who ran the meeting said, this is not worth my time to come all the way over here. And so she just stopped it. And that left us all kind of looking at each other. And I got together with two of those people and we used to meet at Arby's and have meetings. Um, but that kind of fell by the wayside too. But I, at that point I was, I had a decent amount of sobriety under my belt. Um, the only problem is I wasn't working the steps. That's the difference is that I'm actually working the program for good or for ill. This is where I know that I need to be in order to keep my sobriety. Um, yeah. 
but you're right. It, it is scary. All of this is scary because giving up any kind of control, that's been an issue in my life, all my life, is me being able to be in control of my life. And not- that was mine. That was mine too, the control. But I had spent so many years, um, <laughs> you know, living two lives. And it was just like, we have no control, like for myself. I have no control when I would step into the casino. Um, I had no control. Like I was on autopilot. But every other aspect of my life, I controlled it with an iron fist because if somebody else tried to try to to even just help me, it would just make this whole my whole world crash because you know I was I was just juggling everything, money, bills, uh, lies, you know, whatever. And when I think of the twenty questions, I had a hard time at first. Um, it's admitting it, but I mean, I I knew in my I'm 20 for 20. And, and I tell people that I am 20 for 20. And, um, and I know a lot of people do struggle with saying that, that they're, whether you're seven for 20 or 10 for 20, it, it's still, it's still admitting, it's still admitting that you are a compulsive gambler. And um, so, and I know, I know that's scary and, um, and shameful and, you know, all these different emotions with it, but I'm hoping through sharing our stories, Maybe we can, can, can help some of that or help somebody else maybe not feel so ashamed to, to say, Hey, I'm 2020 on these questions. I'm a compulsive gambler. Um, this is a problem for me and I want help and I'm going to get help. I'm not going to be afraid. And we're, we're going to, we're going to, um, you know, change our lives with this. So, um, if there's something that you could say to somebody out there, who's listening, um, I'll start with Rachel. If there's something you could say to somebody who's listening, um, who's still kind of on the cusp of starting recovery because they are scared, like what, what would you say to that person? I would say, talk to a friend, bring them to a meeting, you know, open meeting. Um, sometimes it's a matter of not coming by yourself. Uh, having somebody that's there uh, with you and can experience it with you and support you through it. Yeah. That would be one thing. Um, possibly doing something on Zoom first or doing something on the phone first if they're not ready for the face-to-face, -face, uh, which would be understandable. We've all been through the pandemic. So, you know, maybe starting there. But yeah. I think that what they're going to find is just like she had at Arby's. Um, I met with some friends in Tahlequah at Del Rancho, and it was not the food. It was the fact that anything that we could say, somebody immediately laughed about it or just rolled their eyes or because they knew exactly what we were talking about. And so I think they will find that if they walk into a meeting and share something, somebody else is going to immediately go, yep, been there, done that. You know, it's, yeah. it's hey, you're in the right place. If, I think for me too, that was when I got online to the um, gamblersinrecovery.com. That was the first place that I went. Um, and just talking with somebody who understood exactly where I was just change things for me. Like, you know, because we isolate ourselves. We, we think we're so alone. 
until you make that first step and you talk to somebody who's, who, um, is going through recovery. And then they say, they share their stories and it's just like Hillary with your story. And I mean, so many people have started with the horses. Like I can't tell you how many people has, had started with like going to the horse tracks and, and just do, at a young age or just putting a penny in the, in the machine with their family, you know, going with their families and things like that. And, um, I just think as, as we share our stories and we talk to other people, we just realize how much we have in common. We can be on opposite sides of the world and be this, this addiction has so many commonalities among people. So, uh, what would you say Hillary starting, starting within, you know, the beginning of recovery? I guess because of the pandemic, there are so many meetings on zoom and meetings make it, um, it's important to get out there and find the group that fits you too. I mean, I'm in RRO for girl society. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, look into the, you know, the GA stuff. And then there are individual groups of us that meet on zoom, like on, um, meetings Monday through Friday at eight o'clock. Um, well, actually Saturday and Sunday too, who am I kidding? And their person changes and et cetera, but we'll talk about 90 meetings in 90 days meetings make it. Um, I believe in it because you see so many people out there with their stories and you have your own and it just, I don't know, you end up finding a community of support that anybody who doesn't have the compulsive gambling addiction doesn't understand. And what I'm going to start doing here, because there is no GA even remotely close, um, is to go to NA or AA. Um, it doesn't mean that I, you know, have to share because you really technically can't, but there's a lot that you can glean out of the meetings because it's 12 steps. We're all working 12 steps. And, yeah. uh, so go any, um, go anywhere. You can, you can just talk it out, talk the 12 steps out. Um, yeah, I've, I've thought about, um, because in Rachel, I know this in, in our GA community, it's really small, um, here locally. I think the most people you probably go to the Sunday at the cabin and there's probably four, maybe five people. We've had up to six, but before the pandemic, um, there were about 10 to 12 people that went to that meeting. Monday night, um, I've seen up to 30 or 40 people before the pandemic. Uh, Tulsa really had a lot going on uh, compared to, you know, Tahlequah had nothing. I also went to AA. I asked permission of the chairperson and was allowed to come in, and they were very, very supportive. Uh, but I just, you know, I didn't have GA, so I had to yeah. find something. Yeah. And just a community of women, because even, you know, with addiction, because of the workbook that I work out of, it's just a blanket addiction workbook. So there's just a commonality um, among, among all of them. You know, we're, we're all fighting something that has control over us and we want our lives back. So, you know, we can all, we can all agree with that and we can all work towards that. Um, so I really appreciate you guys taking the time and sharing, sharing your stories and, um, just, just coming on the podcast and talking with you. And I'm, I'm so glad, uh, to meet you, Hillary. 
and I'm glad to see Rachel again. And I appreciate your, um, you ladies being in the Broke Girl Society Facebook group. Oh, thank you for the invitation <laughs> for doing this. Well, um, okay. Well, I'm going to go ahead and, and um, let you guys enjoy your evening. Um, and again, thanks so much. Thank, thank you. you so much.